Welcome to As Luck Would Have It. My name is James and I'm on the Church Council here at Leichhardt Uniting. We are a church based on Gadigal and Wongal land here in Sydney, Australia. You'll find us at Leichhardt Uniting Church, Luck, on Facebook. Sermons are on YouTube under the same name and you can find more information about our church and our team at leichhardtuniting.org.au. In this episode of As Luck Would Have It, Reverend Radhika Sukumar-White is preaching about sharing from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is part two of a six-part series originally preached for the season of Easter 2021 on being the church through Acts. I will be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, from the New Revised Standard Version. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Thus ends the reading. Please enjoy the following sermon. Okay, let's pray. Come and fill our hearts with your peace. You alone, O Lord, are holy. Come and fill our hearts with your peace. Hallelujah. Amen. <clears throat> so last week, I began this preaching series that we will follow until Pentecost, which is in about a month, on what it means to be the church according to the book of Acts. As I mentioned last week, <clears throat> so just to recap, the book of Acts is book two, immediately following the Gospel of Luke, which is part one. These two books are meant to be read side by side, one immediately after the other. Book one, the Gospel of Luke, is about how people came to follow Jesus during Jesus' life, during Jesus' incarnation on earth. So they physically saw his ministry of teaching and healing, and they began to follow him. The followers grew in, in faith and strength of number uh, through Jesus' death and through Jesus' resurrection. And then at the end of book one, Jesus ascends to heaven and the disciples are left without him on earth, staring up into heaven and waiting for him to come back. So the cliffhanger question at the end of book one and going into book two is, how do followers of Jesus follow him when he is not around to be followed, at least not tangibly? And then we come to book two, the book of Acts which describes how those early followers of Jesus continued to live after Jesus effectively disappeared from their midst, how they shaped their lives around his message, how they spread his gospel to those within Jerusalem and beyond who may have heard about Jesus from other people but who had never met him. So after the ascension of Jesus, which we uh, looked at last week, we read about the first ever gospel revival at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit falls upon those first early believers through wind and through fire. 
People are bewildered when they see this, thinking perhaps this is some huge open-air drunken rave because it's so loud, so large, so out of control. And then straight after that, we slow way down and we hear today's passage, which Leone read. And it's the most beautiful description of the early Christian community, the early church. And while this part of Acts is not as awe-inspiring as that Pentecost moment from a bit before, it still has its own reckless beauty. The believers literally give everything they have away so that no one will be hungry, no one will be homeless. And they do this not out of obligation, but in gladness. And the community grows every day. More and more people were saved. What an image of the church that is alive and on the move and attractive and glorious. Is this the model of church that we should be emulating today? That's the question that faces us. To answer that question, let's do what all good Bible study does, which is to look at what is behind the passage, the context of what we're looking at. You may not know this, but this group of early believers was not the first group of Jews to live communally in this way. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, there is a reference to a different covenant community who formed itself around someone known as the Teacher of Righteousness, who lived about 100 years before Jesus. That teacher claimed that through him, God had established a new covenant, which was spoken about in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, especially in the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. We also learn in the scrolls that that teacher was vehemently opposed by the priestly hierarchy of his day, probably because he saw himself as the new high priest, like Jesus. In any case, that teacher of righteousness and his community, they saw themselves as the community in which the Old Testament ideal of Israel being God's covenant people was finally, thousands of years later, coming true. And so that earlier community, they all shared all their possessions as an expression of what that was. So then a hundred years later, this passage says, the early followers of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem lived in that same way. And I think it was for the same reason. They believed that God had established the new covenant, not through that teacher of righteousness from a hundred years ago, but through this man, Jesus of Nazareth, their Messiah, their new high priest. And so what they were doing was living out what God had always intended for God's covenant community sharing everything in common. They saw themselves as a covenant community in whom the ancient promises of God were finally coming true. What are these ancient promises of God? Well, we go all the way back to Deuteronomy, which quotes about what life might be like when God finally establishes that covenant community. So in Deuteronomy 15, God commands God's people that every seven years, there should be a full remission of debt. Everyone who is owed money must just remit the claim. Then God goes on to say, There will be no needy person among you, because the Lord is sure to bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. So that's in Deuteronomy. And then in Isaiah, we hear about the year of Jubilee, which is every seven times seven years, when all debts completely are remitted. All debts. This, it seems is the will of God for Israel, for God's chosen people, a full remission of debt. 
So I think what Luke, the writer of Acts, is, is, make, is saying here is quite a big claim. I think what he's saying is that this early Christian movement, as described in Acts, was the embodiment of that true covenant community that God had spoken about thousands of years before, that God had always intended to create. But the community only came into being through the total forgiveness of sin and death by Jesus on the cross and not before. Because remember that Jesus was not just about forgiveness of sin. Jesus spoke a lot about, in Luke's gospel and in other gospels, about forgiveness of debt. Back in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus uh, says that famous speech, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, etc., that year that he was talking about, the year of the Lord's favor, was what was referred to in Deuteronomy and Isaiah, where there would be no debt at all. And so now, and so now in today's story, the followers of Jesus were in the most practical way possible making real the promise of the renewal of God's covenant right there and then. So they would model that they would have no debts to one another at all because all of their property, all of their assets were shared in common together. I should clarify though that this does not mean that the followers sold the roofs over their heads because without those things, they would have nowhere to meet, nowhere to live. But anything that they could afford to sell, they sold and shared it with their wider early Christian community. And I don't want you to be fooled. Though this was 2,000 years ago, this was as massive back then as it would be today. Selling, excuse me, selling your land was not just sacrificing your economic assets. It was letting go of your ancestral heritage. It's a big deal. So, today's reading shows the church acting as God always wanted God's covenant community to act. Here we are 2,000 odd years later. So what do we do with this? How do you and I, how do we together communally follow Jesus of Nazareth, live out his commandments, and model ourselves on the example of those early believers, those early followers? Let's be brutally honest. This beautiful and biblical depiction of the church is not how I have experienced the church most of the time. And when I look around to so many of you who have been cut out or left behind or excluded from the church, I know that you have not had that experience either. We do not associate the church with giving away all it has. Historically, we look back at a church that has committed systematic genocide against various people groups, participated in wars with other nations and other religions, and always or a lot of the time, used its power for oppression and injustice in God's name. I have seen with my own eyes people say, churches say that people like me could do children's ministry or women's ministry but not preach to everyone. I have seen churches choose sides and fight their siblings using the Bible as a weapon until one day the congregation just ups and leaves the, con- the church for good. I have seen churches full of extremely rich people who refuse to spend money on mission and then leave that meeting for their third cruise of the year. I have seen churches full of corruption, greed, abuse of power, abuse of people, gossip, backbiting, 
Churches that have told us that they do love us, but then silenced our voices because of our gender or race or sexuality. This is the problem, right? The church is supposed to be the answer to our woundedness, but instead the church is the reason so many of us are wounded. And maybe the word wounded is a really important word to be used here. Think about what the word wound mean, means. A wound is ordinarily a physical problem, right? A cut, a bruise, a breakage. And Paul says that the church is a body, the body of Christ. We, the individuals of the church, are the eyes and the ears and the hands and the feet of Christ on earth. <clears throat> Our diversity of roles and personalities and gifts and problems all work together, hopefully moving in one direction towards exhibiting Christ in the world. <coughs> the church is one body, many parts. She loves that cross. <laughs> the church is one body and many parts. We are diverse, but we can be united, according to what Paul says. And we are called to be united. We are called to enter into intimate, interdependent relationships with people who are very, very different from us. A hand and a liver, a kneecap and the lungs. That's the kind of idea that we're going with. But what this also means is that when the church fails to live out that unity, when the church excludes or eliminates or hurts individual people, individual parts of the body, the whole body feels that wound. The whole body is wounded, just like breaking an arm or having surgery on something. One part does not suffer without the whole body suffering, because that's how a body works. <coughs> the church talks at length about being a family, right? We all hear it in hymns and whatever. But actually, from the inception of the church, as we see in Acts, the analogy is very real. It's more real than we think. Because when you're in a family... When one person hurts, everyone hurts. When you're in a family, you stop thinking about things and money as mine and yours. <clears throat> when you're in a family, those who earn an income do not keep their earned money to themselves, but give that money to the whole household. When you're in a family, you should not need slaves to do all the work for you, because everyone pulls their weight. That, ideally, is what it means to be in a family. Families also fight and bicker and get on each other's nerves and hurt each other's feelings, but we still share everything in common. <coughs> Excuse me. Why do we bother? <clears throat> Why do we share everything in common as a family? Well, the early church had a word for, of this way of ordering our lives, which was the word agape which just means love, but not in the shallow feelings kind of way that we often use the word love. Agape love is not actually about feelings at all. Agape love is about what you do with your stuff when you are part of an extended family. That is agape love. The bad news that we need to face is that we have failed at living into that familial unity and will continue to fail, every single one of us. Someone will inevitably enter our church, which is generally very good at welcoming, and they will be messy in such a way that we cannot cope with, or maybe beautiful in a way that our ugly and our messy cannot handle. 
Every single one of us will come face to face with the person that we will refuse to love or at least find it really difficult to love. We will be excluded from communities, but we will also be part of communities that exclude. Now, I don't want to oversimplify the point. This communal way of living that we see in Acts can feel burdensome. It can feel like too much, uh, too much pressure on our time, well, in our time, in our culture. It's too much. Where we feel forced to accumulate and save and be cautious with our giving. And we can blame that on a whole lot of different things, like the cost of living in the inner west of Sydney, or the needs of our children, or perhaps a lack of trust in where our church offerings go. <coughs> but the truth is that we, if we all treat our belonging to a church as we would belonging to a family and live out that relationship in what we do with our money and our resources, we will have more energy and more vitality within us. There really is an attractiveness about a life in which we stop clinging onto everything we can get for ourselves and instead start sharing it out giving it away, celebrating the generosity of God by being generous ourselves. And that attractiveness will grow the church. It's that simple. That attractiveness will attract others in. Because the point of Christian community is to be countercultural, to be radically generous in a society that says we should not. But to do so, not just because of the sake of it or out of obligation, but because we love and serve the Lord. So, the bad news is that the church has often failed to live up to this vision that we heard in Acts. But the news does not end with bad news. It never does in the church. The news never ends with Good Friday. The good news is that it's not up to us. We do not need to be perfect disciples or a perfect community for God to work in the church. We do not actually need to have our shit together before God starts to move in our midst because God is always working. The church is God's beloved and God is not done working with it, either within the structures and institutions or within the individual people that together make up the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is at work when other people fail and the Holy Spirit is at work when we fail other people. That's the good news. Because remember, we go back to that beautiful, inspiring passage from Acts. But then we take a step back and we look at the whole story. The whole story that is in Acts of the early church. And it is exciting. It's a, it's a wild ride of a young church leaping off into the world, empowered by the Holy Spirit and loving people and preaching the good news and sharing everything in common. It's great. But the book of Acts is also full of stories of embezzlement, church conflict, racial exclusion, leadership failures, congregational self-destruction and infighting. That's all in the same book. And yet, here we are today, 2,000 years later. The church is still moving. The spirit is still moving. The horrible and heartbreaking failures of the early church did not stop the Holy Spirit from continuing to move and spread the good news that the blind see and the lame walk for 2,000 years. And our current heartbreaking failures that we see in the church will not stop the grace of Jesus Christ from continuing to move in us and move between us. 
Because the main character in the book of Acts is not Peter, even with his great preaching. And it's not Paul, even with his missionary work. And it's not even the church with its radical expansion. (coughs) The main character of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. The main character of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit and the way that that Holy Spirit sweeps through our lives, whether we want it to or not. And it sweeps through our churches even when we can't see a way that things can be made new. But the gates of hell cannot stop the Spirit of God. Having said that, there is still an onus on us. This passage seems to tell us to take Jesus' words seriously when he said, anyone who wants to come with me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourselves. Deny the idea that you exist for yourself, that you are the centre of the universe and that your aim in life is to accumulate more for you. Instead, embrace this loss of self-identity for the sake of a shared identity. If you are a follower of Christ, you can no longer exist in a vacuum. If you are a follower of Christ, you belong to a family, the family of Leichhardt Uniting Church, the family of the Uniting Church in Australia, and the whole family of God that has existed in so much of the world for thousands of years. If you are a follower of Jesus, love one another. Thanks for joining us for this episode of As Luck Would Have It, proudly presented by Leichhardt Uniting Church. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe and feel free to leave a rating or review. And you can also visit our website and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Have a great day.